Hey, I know you're here for the podcast, but give me 30 seconds to talk about a new service we just released for anyone working in a CPG brand. Finding the perfect co-packer or supplier can be a real pain. You spend hours Googling options, texting your colleagues, asking around different Slack groups, and still you get nothing. That's why we created Fiddle Connect Consulting, a done-for-you service that does all of the hard work of finding your dream co-packer or supplier. Best of all, it's 100% guaranteed and you get three free months of Fiddle Inventory Operations software included. Interested? Just go to lp.fiddle.io forward slash FCC. That's lp.fiddle.io forward slash FCC. Now, on with the episode. Welcome to the Physical Product Movement, a podcast by Fiddle. We share stories of the world's most ambitious and exciting physical product brands to help you capitalize on the monumental change in how, why, and where consumers buy. I'm your host, Ken Ojuka. In this episode, I talk with Daniel Kurzrock, co-founder and CEO of Regrained. He describes how he was first introduced to the problem of food waste as he brewed his own beer back in college. Dan did a great job describing the environmental impact of food waste and how Regrained was born out of the desire to try to address this problem. He talks about how as a company, they've taken a leadership role in the upcycling movement by giving talks, releasing content, highlighting landmark research on the subject, and founding the Upcycled Food Association. We also discuss some of the great opportunities for companies to differentiate their products by using upcycled ingredients, but also how companies can unlock additional lines of revenue by reviewing the byproducts of their production process. This was a no-fluff, dense, and educational interview that I really enjoyed. I think you'll enjoy it, too. All right, Dan. Hey, thanks for jumping on. I appreciate you uh, taking the time. Oh, yeah, Ken. Great to be here with you. Hey, so uh, where, where am I finding you now? I am in San Francisco, California. Beautiful Bay Area. Cool. Is that, is that where you guys are based? We are. So our company is based in Berkeley um, and you know, kind of have had spaces around the, the Bay Area for, for some time. I grew up around here. Actually, the, the idea for the company was started down in Southern California when I was a uh, undergrad at UCLA. Cool. Well, before we jump into that, because we, we definitely want to hear that story, um, we like to kick this off with a quote. Um, is there a quote that, that kind of, uh, you know, gets you excited and is impactful to you? Well, I submitted a few of them on your, uh, on your form here. Um, I'm going to have that. I should have just pulled that up. Yeah. Innovation is putting creativity into action. I think that's the one that you submitted. And uh, yeah, it's a pretty awesome quote. Why, what is that, uh, why does that speak to you? Yeah, that one, that one speaks to me because innovation is one of those buzzwords. It gets, it gets thrown out a lot. And I think it um, almost to the point of abstraction, right? Where it has lost its, uh, lost its real meaning. And, you know, especially as it relates to like, entrepreneurial ventures and, you know, doing, doing something new, you know, that, that, that action piece of it is, uh, is just so critical. And when you're, you know, when you're, when you're building a company or when you're developing new products, you know, it's really um, often 
challenging to not let perfection get in the way of, of progress, right? And actually taking action on, on ideas is where a lot of, a lot of uh, individuals and teams and, and companies get, get caught up. And I think if we just can remember that, you know, truly being innovative is about putting, putting creativity in action, um, you know, you, you get a, a little more comfortable with maybe taking two steps forward and one step back, you know, for the sake of actually doing something new and seeing how the, you know, how the rubber meets the road, so to speak. So it's something that, um, when I first heard that quote, I don't, I don't know who to attribute it to, uh, originally, but it just, it really resonated as, um, you know, words to kind of build a next generation food company on. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's a pretty awesome quote. And I think, you know, it's really easy to get excited, you know, about the ideas, but really nothing happens until, until you act on those ideas. And I think that that's where true innovation happens. Absolutely. So uh, Dan, yeah. So for those of those who've never heard of Regrain, uh, your company, can you, uh, can you tell us a little bit about it, what you guys do? Yeah, absolutely. So Regrain, we're an, we're an upcycled food company, kind of the, the pioneering upcycled food company. Um, you know, some people know us for a product of, you know, a line of, of consumer products that, that, that we've launched, which I'm sure we'll spend some time speaking about. But mm-hmm. it really what's behind, you know, what we're doing is some technology that we developed actually with the USDA around rescuing overlooked, underutilized ingredients, you know, that are, that are highly nutritious and, and flavorful and functional, like the grain that's already been used by breweries to make beer. And what we do is we actually convert that uh, into a you know high value you know source of source of foods it's kind of like the circular economy for food so we have a ingredient uh, business where we work with other food companies and help them commercialize upcycled food products we have our own line of products which kind of act as a commercial proof of concept and you know something to you know physical that we can put out there for people to uh you know, for people to experience. And, you know, it's, uh, it's really a platform for, for upcycled foods. And it all started with, uh, with beer making. And so you mentioned that you, you guys, uh, you know, pioneered or one of the pioneering companies uh, behind this. Uh, how long ago was that? And, and, you know, what, what do you think that your, your role and your contribution to the upcycling movement uh, that's getting a lot more popular now, what do you think, what do you think your contribution was to that? Gosh, I mean, so, you know, for this, this all started for me when I was an underage home brewer. Actually, I started making my own beer as a, as a college student. You know, this was 2009, 2010. Um, I learned with a, with a buddy from his, from his older brother and got, got really into making, um, making beer. And this was, you know, before food waste was something that was talked about, you know, commonly. Fortunately, now it's an issue that has gotten a lot of attention, especially since the uh, landmark report in 2014, where it was first quantified that 40% of all food that's grown is is wasted. Um, for me, you know, back then it was a, more about, hey, you know, every time we're making a beer, I really love this hobby, but the process is actually making food at the same time. And that, that food is, uh, it feels like we're, we're wasting it. Um, you know, it was going to uh, basically in the, in the dumpster. You know, every time we made a batch, it's like one pound for every six pack. So I started making loaves of bread and selling it to friends and would use the, the revenue from that to buy more ingredients to brew more beer. And, you know, started started uh, me asking some of the, the bigger questions, especially as a student of sustainability and of, and of business. And in uh, the world of, of sustainability, there's this concept of, of cradle to cradle, you know, of, of, of having a, you know, a circular economy, you know, products where there's no yeah, uh, kind of, this, this basically dismantles this linear construct that's completely a, a product of, well, let's call it, I guess, human, uh, 
<laughs> disingenuity or something where, you know, we've made these, these very, we built this very extractive economy that's take, make waste. And, you know, in the, the circular economy, it's about, you know, how can, how can the output of one process become the beginning of another process? And, you know, there was this idea of, of upcycling um, that was, you know, pr- proposed, uh, I believe originally by Bill McDonough. And it's about creating products of higher value. So, you know, how, instead of making, you know, saying, uh, taking like a plastic bottle and recycling it into another plastic bottle, which by the way, less than 10% of all plastics are ever actually recycled. Um, and, and actually, you know, creating something new with it. So if you look at like Patagonia, for example, some of their fleeces are made from, you know, upcycled water bottles. Right. And so it was very inspired learning about this, uh, this concept and realized that what we were, you know, kind of stumbled, what we'd stumbled on with, with, with beer making and, with uh, you know the the breads and you know eventually we made these like nutrition bars, that that was that was really a very similar ethos, um, but it was but it was for food and so started talking about it as was edible upcycling, um, and which eventually became you know upcycled food. Uh, right around the same time, actually another Southern California based company Barnana, you know also had put the words you know upcycled food on their you know, on their packaging and you know if you fast forward a few years you know upcycled food had actually started getting some getting some traction started making some some trends lists and 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 you know regrain started getting more and more attention um you know there's a whole kind of sub you know whole sector really that, that that's grown around this and about a year and a half ago actually um a handful of companies you know regrain included we came together and we we co-founded a nonprofit association called the upcycled food association which uh started with it was you know, seven or eight companies originally. As of last week, we now have 155 companies worldwide that are participating in the Upcycled Food that's uh, awesome. Association. Um, we've got a third-party certification that's coming out. You know, I've given uh, the opportunity to give you know TED, a TED talk about this this sort of thing um, and speak at conferences and whatnot. It's been a it's been a real privilege to you know have the opportunity to champion something that I think is as common sense as hey, let's take all of the value, you know, that's being created by our food system and let's keep it in the food system by putting it to its highest use, feeding people. That's really what upcycled foods is all about is about putting food to its best use, you know, feeding people. And, you know, Regrand has been championing this for, for years and we look forward to doing it for, for years to come. That's great. That's great. And I have a couple of follow up, follow up questions on that actually. Um, why do you think now, why do you think it's catching, you know, um, some, some momentum, now, um, as opposed to, you know, years ago, I think we, we've known about this problem for quite a while. You know, why, why do you think companies are interested in it now? Well, from the company's perspective, you know, and I'll, I'll address that first, because you said, why do you think companies are interested in upcycled food now? I mean, there's a pretty straightforward business case for, for doing this, right? I mean, we're talking about um, basically optimizing value, right? We're talking about, you know, creating co-products where there once were, were byproducts. Um, nobody likes waste, you know, whether you're, uh, you know, at the head of a boardroom table or, you know, the head of your household's kitchen table, right? Like waste is, is something that is, you know, deplorable pretty much to, to all. And the fact that we waste 40% of all edible food, I mean, that's, that's insane. You know, it's like leaving the grocery store with five bags and dropping two in the parking lot. Um, and so, you know, there's a, uh, I think one of the reasons that, that shouldn't be ignored is that there's a really clear business case for turning waste into into value. 
Um, now, when done authentically, which is really core to the to the upcycling piece of it, it, you know, this is something that actually can can make environmental impact. And so, to be, you know, an upcycled food product and to be certified in the certification process that's that's launching later this year, you, know, you have to know, show that you know the sources of your carbon footprint, for example. And there's you know really this whole environmental philosophy, you know, around this, not just the the, the straight business case. Um, you know, more broadly, if you look at just, you know, consumer trends, you know, if, if you will, there's been an increasing awareness of what's, you know, what, what's in, what's in the food, right? And, and people becoming increasingly uh, interested in foods that are better for them and, you know, better for the planet. And, you know, this has become more marketable to create food products that are differentiated by being you know, more nutritious and, you know, more sustainable. And so there's that kind of macro force that's, that's going on. And then if you look at the consumer level, um, you know, just, just, you know, us at, us at home in the last year, right. You know, during this, uh, this shared experience we've all had around the, the pandemic and, um, you know, everyone, uh, you know, there's, there's been a, a huge array of consequences uh, from this. Sure. Um, but the, you know, specific to the food system, there's really kind of just shined a light on the fragility, you know, of our, of our food system, especially in the, you know, the early days when there was, you know, some, some of the runs on the grocery store and, and, and whatnot. And it, you know, drew a lot of awareness to, um, you know, to our food system and food waste actually is something that's, uh, you know, if you look at like survey data, it's something that people are paying more attention to now than they were before COVID, which I think is, is really interesting. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, and I believe it, you know, and I, I've got, I've got five kids and, and uh, you know, so food waste is something that, you know, just as a, as a parent, you know, I see, I just see all around us. Right. And I just think about it, you know, selfishly from my pocketbook, you know, I paid for that food and now we're just throwing it in the trash, you know, what's going on there, you know? Um, and that's just, you know, just anecdotal. And of course, you know, at the consumer level, but this is going on, you know, throughout the, the supply chain, you know, and so I wanted to talk just a little bit more about about how you guys noticed this um, in, in the process of, of making beer. Um, and, and maybe you can go into a little bit more detail about the process of, of making beer and what what exactly w- was wasted and just maybe describe that to the listener. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, upcycling, you know, the, the upcycled food opportunity is, you know, somewhat of a esoteric subset right of the of the food waste problem because we're not talking about uh, there's kind of two main buckets of upcycled food that, that you can think of you know one that's um maybe a little more intuitive is you know farm you know things like farm surplus where maybe after you know harvest not everything made it to the to the grocery store for cosmetic reasons or otherwise and um you know taking those those crops um and you know maybe doing some there's actually some very old examples of, of doing value-added processing, right? Creating juices, you know, so it's a great example of, of how a lot of these crops have been, have been used, you know, historically. And then there's this other subset, which is really where regrain uh, plays in, which is in uh, what would, you know, you, you could call like manufacturer byproduct utilization. So that's taking side streams that are created from other processes that would have gone to a, a lower use, maybe animal feed, maybe compost, maybe landfill, uh, and you know, basically preserving them as, as, you know, high quality, you know, human, human food, uh, ingredients. And so, you know, with regrained, this was something that, uh, it was just so 
in our face when we were homebrewing and to make beer for those of you who are listening who've uh, never made beer before which i think is a lot of people it's actually a very simple process it's not um the ingredients are very similar to making bread um you know, just with the addition of hops so you've got there's four ingredients in beer you've got water you've got grain you've got hops and you've got yeast and the first step in the beer making process is kind of like making a huge batch of oatmeal so the brewer heats up the water mixes it in with malt which is just a sprouted and roasted grain, usually barley. Um, you know, so it's also an ancient grain, right? So, you know, beer is, is made kind of by making like a barley porridge is the first step of the process. And then that um, porridge is basically drained and rinsed through. And what's happened there, you know, simplifying is that the sugars are extracted. You know, it's this like, it's called wort. It's kind of like a, like a, a sweet water you know, that gets boiled and hops are added to that. And, you know, that gets cooled down and then the yeast is added and it ferments and fermentation basically converts the sugars into alcohol and gas, you know, which is why you have boozy carbonated beer. But way back in the beginning of that process, you still, you have that porridge, right? You have a physical mass of these saturated cereals, you know, these, this, this barley that's just been soaked in water. That's all that's happened to it. And so, you know, what we're doing with regrain is we're taking that, and what's left in there is a concentration of, of plant protein and of dietary fiber and of prebiotics, you know, interesting things like, like beta-glucans and, and polyphenols and um, oligosaccharides. And it's, it's a, you know, there's actually a lot of nutritional value that's left in this grain, you know, that's not useful to the beer maker. You know, for the, the beer maker, all they care about is extracting as much of the sugar as they can um, as efficiently as possible and, and making the beer. The rest is, is something that they need to get rid of before they can make more beer. And so, you know, what we're doing is we're coming in and we're able to uh, stabilize it and process it into a flour that can be used as a, you know, a key ingredient in a whole range of different types of products, baked goods, snacks, breakfast items, pasta, you, you name it. And, you know, we're, we're coming in and we're making that possible for, for the first time, thanks to our breakthrough uh, on the, uh, the technology that we developed with the USDA. And so, yeah, you've mentioned the, the technology a couple of times. Is there anything you could tell us about, you know, what's unique about what you guys are doing to it um, uh, and, and I guess what makes it patentable? Yeah, and the, and the patent is uh, public domain, right? It's something that can be, that can be looked up. You know, our, our process, it's a thermomechanical process and, you know, uses, uh, uses infrared and, um, you know, basically is taking a material that would have otherwise, uh, I guess what's important to note is that when it comes out of the brewery, it's sopping wet, you know, it's like 90% water by weight. So it's wet and heavy. It's difficult to transport, it spoils quickly and it's energy intensive to, to process. And it's very difficult to process, you know, with, uh, you know, high standards for food safety, which is, which is, which is critical. And so we developed a, you know, hyper energy efficient method. That's also, you know, of course, incredibly food safe and really optimized for, um, taking this, this material that's so saturated that traditional ways of processing it, you know, are, you know, difficult or expensive or, you know, produce, you know, a, a burnt product, you know, for example, and, you know, we're able to, to stabilize it, dry it out, um, you know, at, at scale. And it's, um, you know, it was patentable, uh, you know, in large part due to the uh, sensory results as well of, of how we process it. So it's, it's gentle enough to preserve the nutrients and, you know, and a lot of the flavor, um, you know, while still, um, you know, basically stabilizing it, you know, sufficiently to be, to be used as a, as a hero ingredient and in, in food product applications. 
Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so um, you, you'd mentioned that the beer companies, you know, throw this out. Do they literally throw out uh, the, this this waste, or, or how do they dispose of it? What do they do? I'm glad you asked that, Ken. It's a it's a really important question, something that we like to be very clear about. You know, by and large, most breweries are not sending this to landfill. You know, this is there's a rich. We've been making beer for a very long time as a civilization. You know, some would argue that since the origins of civilization itself, you know, was, was centered around the production of, of beer making and, you know, cultivating the, the grain to, uh, to, to be made into beer and not wanting to carry big vats of beer around, right? Like we've been making beer for you know, pretty much as, as long as we have, you know, record of anything. Um, for a very long time, this has mostly gone to, to animal feed and, you know, especially large breweries, um, you know, and also, you know, small breweries too, depending on where they are, um, have historically been able to send, you know, this for off for, for animal feed, you know, cat, cattle feed, you know, hog feed and, and whatnot. Um, you know, some goes to, some goes to compost. Um, and then what's interesting is in an urban environment, that's less practical, you know, which is really where we got started. So we were operating in a city where we, you know, we learned that there was actually breweries that were paying to have this stuff hauled away because it was difficult to get a, you know, a rancher to come in and pick it up when there's access mm-hmm. to this, you know, material much closer to the, to the farm. Um, you know, we, there, there certainly are with more than two new breweries opening per day on average, there certainly are breweries that, that may have no other option, but to send this you know, to landfill. But it's, it's not that the, it's really not that the breweries themselves, you know, the brewers are being wasteful. They just can't make beer without also creating this co-product. Right. And so what we're doing is we're, we're proposing a higher use, you know, we're saying, Hey, rather than send this to a lower use, like like animal feed or um or compost uh you know let's turn this in let's keep this nutrition in the food system let's feed it you know let's feed it to people um and so we're coming in with a with a better option um but i like to be very clear that you know we're not it's not it's not like the we're not here to villainize the the beer industry or anything like that you know they're they're a really key partner you know in the in this for us it's just the you know, beer makers are in the business of making beer and you can't make beer without also making this food. We just want to see this handled and valued as the food that it is. Okay. Interesting. Um, and, and that's pretty awesome. So, so really, you know, by higher, you mean like a higher value use, um, as opposed to like a lower value use. Yeah. Value. And there's, you know, financial value, which we were talking about earlier, but there's also something called the food recovery hierarchy as well um, that the EPA put out Mm -hmm. the environmental Mm -hmm. protection agency put out. So when I'm talking about higher use, I'm also talking about higher, you know, on that pyramid of food recovery and feeding people is at the very top of the, uh, of the pyramid pyramid, as you might imagine. Yeah. Cool. Um, Yeah. I wanted to switch gears just a little bit. Um, So at Regrained, it seems like you're almost running uh, two companies, right? You've got the, the technology um, and ingredient uh, part of your company. Um, and then you've also got a line of consumer products that, that you also, that you also offer. Uh, is, is that an accurate assessment? Yeah, it, it certainly feels that way sometimes, you know, there's an integrated strategy between the two. We're using mm-hmm. our consumer products as a way to help build the market and educate, you know, both the consumers and, you know, the industry and you know, media and everyone, you know, about the opportunity for upcycled food and for, our ingredients, like our, our flagship super grain plus, um, you know, that's, uh, it's, it's really a powerful tool to, to be able to create a product ourselves, bring it to market and show that this can be done, that it can taste great, that it has, you know, better nutritional differences and, you know, great flavor and versatility. And so it's all a part of our, you know, 
early phase market development, you know, plan, but, you know, operationally, um, yeah, I mean, it's, there's kind of the two key activities. Uh, there's actually a third that I'll introduce in a, in a second, you know, but, you know, one is the, and our primary, you know, focus is on the development of our ingredient capabilities and, you know, the, the innovation opportunity for putting these into, you know, all different types of food product formats and, and working with, with partners, you know, bakeries, other brands, restaurant groups, you know, just product developers worldwide on, on bringing this to bringing this to market. Um, and then we have our, our own products that, that we create where we can actually get things to market faster. And, you know, if money were no object, we, we could have a product in every aisle of the grocery store. Um, and then kind of the third leg of that is that this technology that we've developed is, is designed actually to be able to be co-located at a manufacturing facility. And so, you know, there are um, various kind of licensing and, and various, uh, you know, other types of, you know, arrangements that we, uh, that we're also, you know, pursuing on how do we, you know, how we can scale this concept geographically. Okay. And you'd mentioned that, that you're, you're launching something a little bit later on this year. Is that what you're talking about? So we actually have a product launching this week and we've got a, you know, an example of a collaboration um, that we've, that we've been working on is a, a company called, called dope. They're an edible cookie dough company. Really mm-hmm. great, really great product. They're launching a, a, a flavor um, that's using our, using our ingredient. Um, you know, this is a, a sweet application. It's cookie dough that can be eaten right out of the, right out of the pint. Like a, like a, it's like an ice cream pint filled with cookie dough, or it can mm-hmm. be, you know, actually baked off into, into cookies. Really great product. Um, it's just our latest, uh, latest release. We've had earlier this, uh, actually it was on the end of last year. We had an ice cream, you know, that was, that was launched. We've got some savory snacks in development with a few different groups. We've got some breads, you know, so there's a, a whole, slew of, of products that are um, going to be coming to market using this ingredient in the, uh, you know, in the year to come and you know, even more in the years to come. Yeah. So, so I was actually interested in that process um, and maybe we can take one of these examples, you know, um, what, what does the go to market look like, you know, for, for your company and, and finding these, these partnerships and, you know, co-developing uh, a product or, you know, picking an ingredient to, to use, you know, what does that, what does that look like um, in terms of, you know, within your own company and, and what type of activities are you doing to, to find those opportunities? Yeah, it's sounds a little corny, but there's a, a, a lot of just, I guess, community building uh, around, around this where we're, you know, we've taken a very active role and anyway, we mentioned this, you know, kind of at the top of the show with the, uh, with the upcycled food association and bringing together other upcycled food companies, you know, in a similar capacity we've been really educating the, the, you know, the trade about, um, about upcycled food. And there's, you know, many of these, especially like big companies now they have, um, you know, entire programs dedicated to, uh, to innovation around, around new ingredients. Um, also many companies have, and what's in, uh, you know, they have this other silo of, of, sustainability and looking at, um, you know, the environmental impact their, their company is making and oper- opportunities there. And then the, you know, the marketers, you know, and these, these, these organizations are always looking for ways to create products that are more marketable, you know, that, that meet consumer trends and, and whatnot. And so we come in and we try to connect the dots, um, you know, internally, you know, around initiatives that, that are relevant to upcycled food and, and fighting food waste and developing, you know, better for you and better for the planet food products. We're working with with huge multinational companies. We're working with startups. 
you know, for us, it's, it's really critical that we, um, you know, our go-to-market involves being a supply chain and innovation partner with these other companies. Cause you know, Ken, if we were to, you know, if you're just to imagine, uh, like a hundred million dollars a year in sales of say our puff product, you know, this, this bagged snack that we're selling, if we were yeah. out there selling a hundred million dollars of this a year, we'd work with one or two breweries, craft breweries, small ones, tops in terms of, uh, supply. You know, we're, we're interested in closing this loop at scale, you know, worldwide. And the way to do that is, um, is through, through partnerships. In some cases we're selling the ingredient wholesale In other cases, we're actually providing some, you know, product development services or commercialization support, bringing in, you know, manufacturing capacity, um, in other cases, we're selling to companies who are creating solutions for their clients, you know, like, uh, like bakery ingredient companies, you know, for example. And so there's a whole ecosystem out there of, of ways that we're trying to, to, to close this loop, you know, meaningfully. Um, and it's a bit makes us a bit of a non-traditional um, business thesis in that, in that respect, you know, because we've got this like vertically integrated supply chain and, um, we've got, you know, our own products that we, that we also make, but we're really focused on the ingredients and the opportunity with these other companies, but it's, um, you know, it's really a way to, to do this at, at scale, which is what we're, what we're obsessed with here. Yeah. And I'd imagine, you know, personally as, as an entrepreneur, that it's just an interesting and dynamic and, and just a fun, a fun thing to do to be working with so many different companies. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a whirlwind, and you you learn a ton. And different companies have have different processes for how they release products. Um, you know what what can be painful is some companies have multi year product roadmaps, right? And so you know even at the beginning of the of the relationship, you know the best case it might be two years before something hits you know hits the market. So it's about balancing that and the size that that might be, you know, when it launches with maybe a more, you know, more agile company that's maybe a bit smaller that you can do something with, you know, with, with sooner. Um, yeah, it's super dynamic and there's not really, at least I haven't found one yet. Maybe if you, if you do, Ken, you can send it to me. There's not, there's not really a playbook for building a business exactly in this, in this way. Um, you know, it's almost like a, in a sense, it's like an Intel inside model for, for food or like Gore-Tex or, you know, or Vibram or something like that. You know, there's all these examples in other, other sectors. Um, but you know, having this kind of vertically integrated branded ingredient platform centered around, you know, upcycled food is, is pretty, pretty novel. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting. So I, I was looking at some of, some of your early, you know, marketing materials and it looked like you guys were, were exclusively focused on, on granola bars. So, so switching or, or nutritional bars. So switching over to kind of the consumer side uh, of the business. Um, why, why the switch from the nutritional bars to, um, to, you know, what you're promoting heavily right now, which is the, the puffs. Uh, how did that come about? Sure. Yeah. I mean, actually the first product we ever made was bread. Um, the bread was uh, something I'd sell a few dozen loaves to friends and buy more ingredients to brew more beer for free. And um, the way that we landed on bars was actually related to the bread and that, you know, with bread, it takes, it takes hours to make. And then the next day mm. it's not fresh bread anymore. So I wanted a, a product that we could make more of, you know, still by hand and, um, you know, have more of a shelf life and, you know, the bar category wasn't what it what it is now when we first started making bars in 2013, um, you know, we wanted to, our goal was to, you know, create a finished product that could introduce the concept to people to see if we were actually onto something or if we were just crazy. Um, the, you know, the bar 
category is obviously, you know, very saturated now with lots of, lots of options. You know, you could be like a, there's probably like a bar for moms that are into (laughs) jazzercise (laughs) specific, right? Like it's, it's become pretty niche. Um, you know, as a format, it's one where people are willing to try new ingredients. And, um, you know, it was, uh, something that, again, that we could do by hand and we could make hundreds of them in an afternoon. That was, that was the original scale. And, you know, we got to the point where we were in a few thousand stores and doing a lot more than that, but the goal was never to be a bar company. We were always, a you know, an ingredient company that had a bar. Um, you know, we've been pretty over the years, we've been fairly quiet about the ingredient side of our, 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 our business, you know, our whole website is, is largely dedicated to the consumer brand and to, you know, edu- educating people about upcycled food, um, which is why I think sometimes people are surprised to learn that we're not, that, the, that we were more than a bar company and that we're not making bars, right. you know, any, anymore. Um, it just, just kind of hit that point. And it, you know, in hindsight, maybe we could have, we could have walked away from the, the bar line earlier. Um, but in 2020, that whole category was was down, and we had this new innovation, um, this uh, this chip product, the savory snacks that you see on our website now, like a puffed a puffed chip, kind of like in between, like a picture of the texture of like a Cheeto crossed with a sun chip. Um, and you know, we're, uh, we're 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 a startup. We don't have infinite resources, and the consumer brand is not the long term focus of the business. And so it made sense to. Um, you know, put the bars on pause and, you know, the recipes are available there and we've got some companies looking at maybe kind of carrying them on and in a different capacity, but to, to bring this chip to market and the chip won't be here forever either. Most likely, you know, it's um, again, it's a commercial concept and we've already got numerous uh, snack companies, you know, interested in developing similar products, you know, using this ingredient when those are in market, you know, we'll maybe bring something else to market, uh, in a, in a different category entirely. Um, and so that's, that's kind of how, how we think about these, these consumer products um, as much as we, as much as we love them. Um, they're not something to get attached to because they're kind of fleeting by design. Okay. Got it. Got it. Uh, and so my sense is that upcycling um, in general just presents some unique challenges. And then also it presents some unique opportunities uh, compared to traditional uh, manufacturing. So, you know, maybe you could describe, you know, some of the things that are that are more challenging, um, maybe less challenging. What, what, are, what are some of the opportunities in this space? Yeah, I mean, if you think about the supply chain for upcycled foods, your supply chain is another company's manufacturing process. You know, if you're doing manufacturing manufacturers byproduct utilization, you know, side of it, like the type of upcycling that, that regrain engages in. That means that we are downstream from decisions that are made around, you know, what, what ingredients are used and, and things like that. So for example, um, our super grain plus, you know, our flagship ingredient is not certified organic. You know, we're definitely a company that values organic agriculture. Um, mm-hmm. but our, supply is coming from the breweries, right? So there's not really a very big market for upcycled beer uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, And the breweries, you know, as a result of not making organic beer, they're not using organic malt, which means we don't have access to as much organic malt. We would really limit our supply if we were to say, hey, we're only going to rescue organic uh, grain. You know, so you can um, kind of extrapolate that to, you know, other implications of, of your input coming from someone else's output, right? There's also a lot of, you know, food safety concerns that need to be uh, really thought about, you know, carefully um, and how to, you know, best uh, source these materials and, and process them. And there's a lot of, you know, R&D that goes into 
at least there, there was for us, you know, that went into to really optimizing that and cracking, cracking that code. Um, and then you've got the education hurdle too, right? Of developing new ingredients. So, you know, what is this? Is it a flower? You know, that's something we used to talk about it as a flower. We even called it beer flower um, at one point. We did it, we do a lot of kind of market positioning trialing um right you know, right for example we used to have like eat beer on them and it was a good way to get people's attention and you know we called it beer flower and you know it was catchy and and, and, and maybe clever but when people think of flower you know they think of a flower right and flower has certain functional properties and how it you know performs and like making you know doughs that become you know bread especially if it's like a yeast risen product flour also has you know certain cost implications associated with it and you know this is really a new ingredient um it's really maybe better described as a powder um and so you know there's kind of these you gotta like come up with an identity for these new ingredients and then you've got to educate the market on what they are and you know why they're why they're needed um and of course it's you know with what we know internally, it's, it's incredibly compelling on virtually every front that this is a, this should be a staple of the food system. It should be in every aisle of the grocery store. It's not something that people just know automatically, right? You've got to, edu- you, you've got to do some, some education. Um, and that, that applies right. on the consumer level too. So those, you know, those are a few that come to the, that come to mind um, based on that question can I'm sure, come up with probably, a thousand others. Um, you know. <laughs> sure, yeah. sure, and you're and you're right in the middle of it all too. So, um, but yeah, it does like you were saying, you know, suggesting these. There's there's a lot of challenges here, but it also, you know, is what creates the you know the the opportunity. Um, and you know, for us, an example of that opportunity is that this process that we developed for the brewer's grain. You know, we've uh, discovered that our technology actually works really well to process, for example, like the oats that are left over from the oat milking process and the pulp left over from juice production and so you know there's um you know a lot of uh it's really a platform you know and it's that's again another one of those words that's used so much to the point of abstraction but um this is uh you know really a a means of creating these these new supply chains from within you know, existing food manufacturing processes. Um, and it's uh, just enormous in scope and scale. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I agree. I think, I think the, the opportunity is just, is just incredible. Um, and in fact, that might be one of the, the reasons that it, it might be overwhelming, you know, so some, you know, looking at the position uh, or looking at it from the position of a, of a brand or, you know, a manufacturer that wants to get involved in this, you know, and wants to, to get involved in this movement. What, what do you think are the first steps that they could, they could take um, to start getting a little bit more educated and, and finding out where, where the opportunities that, you know, exist for them to include this in, in, in their ingredients? Well, Ken, my email is dan at regrain.com. No, <laughs> yeah, seriously, of course, anyone's welcome to, to get in touch here. But I think, you know, what we're doing with the Upcycled Food Association um, is a great place to to start. You know, if you just go to like upcycledfood.org and, you know, on mm-hmm. that site, you know, there's uh, the, the, de- the formal definition that we released last year, as well as information about the upcoming certification standard and links to a bunch of press and in media and whatnot about the opportunity. So I think that's a you know, of course, we, we, we built that to, um, you know, as an organization to be the, uh, you know, the authority on the upcycled food 
movement. Um, you know, one thing, depending on where people sit in the kind of the food product industry, um, you know, with some companies, there might be opportunities internally to look at, you know, processes that, that throw off byproducts or, you know, that could be co-products and do some internal product development, or maybe it's about sourcing, you know, using the supply chain power, you know, the power the purchasing power of sourcing ingredients that are, you know, that are upcycled. And there's a huge array of ingredients that are, that are out there can, you know, regrains super grain plus is made from the, you know, the grain from the beer making process. Um, but there's other, you know, other examples include the, the fruit, from the coffee plant, the coffee cherry, also known as cascara. There's also the fruit from the cacao plant, you know, from, from chocolate. That is a pretty interesting ingredient. There's um, supply chains being developed for the leaves from the coffee plant, from the okara that is a byproduct of tofu production from, I mean, there's, there's just, you know, this huge and growing list of different types of ingredients that are upcycled. And there's actually, you know, ingredients that people are, would commonly be familiar with that, that could be considered upcycle, you know, that I would consider to be upcycled too. Whey protein, W-H-E-Y. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Ubiquitous, right? See it everywhere. You know how it's made, Ken? Uh, it's a cheese production. Yeah, exactly. It's a, yeah. it's a product of cheese production. Um, and that is the essence of upcycling, you know, and then before, uh, you know, whey protein was developed into you know human nutrition products it was given away or sold for animal feed or tossed or you know dumped in other you know in other ways or you know put put to lower use right and so then you know there's kind of a market that was uh was developed for this over the course of decades and it is what it is now right and so in a lot of ways like what we're looking to do is you know systematically map all of the overlooked and underutilized sources of nutrition in our food system and figure out, you know, the different ways that they can and, you know, and should be put to best use as, as ingredients and, and food for people. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. And and those are some great examples, I think of, uh, of some of the opportunities and even just the way example, I mean, you know, I, I, I don't know that they, that, you know, the people involved there, thought that the opportunity would get as big as it has, but it's a, it's a massive, vibrant, um, very, very lucrative market that's, that's grown up there. Well, you've even got some cheese companies now where, you know, cheese is the byproduct of whey production. Yeah, that's true. Or it's totally flipped on its head. It's kind of crazy. And then the next, you know, with whey, there's also now this growing movement around acid whey, which is, you know, not a very good name, but it's the, the whey from yogurt production. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's, you know, a bunch of startups now that are doing different things with the, with that, that, you know, that, that way there's a company called wayward spirits, for example, that's making vodka. There's a company called Norway that is making like a beer, you know, like a fermented, uh, way beverage. There's a, a company called spare tonic that's making the spare food company. It's their product line is called the spare, spare tonic. It's a, ready to drink beverage that has much of, you know, probiotic, you know, really has the, the probiotics intact from, from acid waste. So yeah, it's a, um, you know, it's, there's a, there's a lot of this. And then even like another one that I like to bring up get is uh, just as an old example, they're not marketed as upcycled, but you know, you go to the store, you find baby carrots, right. And mm-hmm. you know, baby carrots aren't cute little carrots that are, <laughs> that are grown. They're <laughs> cosmetically imperfect carrots that were, you know, shaved right. down to, um, to that baby carrot size. Oh, I didn't even know that. 
I guess I had never really considered how baby carrots came to be, but that's interesting. Yeah. Well, um, I have, well, I have, uh, I have little kids that eat almost exclusively baby carrots. They won't eat the normal ones. They just like the baby ones. So well, that's they, interesting. They're fighting food waste without knowing it. <laughs> well, um, you know, we're, we're at time here. Um, I just wanted to, um, to just ask you a couple quick questions. So, um, we're sitting at March, end of March, March 29th uh, is the day that we're recording this. Um, what, uh, what's in the future for you guys? What's coming up later on this year? What are you excited about? You know, what, what's that look like? Yeah, I'm really excited about the different products that we're launching with, with partners. Um, and there's just such an array of applications for the regrain ingredient that are going to be brought to market um, through through some of these partnerships, and I wish I could go into more more detail. Um, but you know, everything from from snacks to cookies to, to breakfast items to um, you know, like pasta. You know, there, there's just a lot in the works, and that's really our original vision coming to fruition for for the first time. Um, you know, enabled by this process getting commercialized that we developed and that, you know, everything when you're starting a company takes, takes longer and, uh, you know, costs more than you, than you expected to. And, um, you know, COVID really slowed down the, the opening, for example, of our, of our plant. And, um, you know, now we've got this, this beautiful facility that's just able to crank out, you know, more of uh, super grain plus than, than, than ever before. So that's really exciting. And then also just humongously excited for the progress we're making is the uh, upcycle food association and you know by june um or so you know companies are going to have their products certified as being upcycled for the for the first time and it's uh that is really important to maintain the you know just the trust and you know that comes with the transparency you know around uh formalizing this as a, as a real staple of, of, of the food system, which is, you know, makes both to be a little punny can, I mean, it makes both dollars and cents, right. To, to do upcycle mm-hmm. food, but it's gotta be done. It's gotta be done right. And so, um, you know, really, uh, really proud of the work that the upcycled food association and its members are, are doing and then what's to come there. That's awesome. All right. Well, uh, just uh, to conclude here, let's uh, do the quick fire round. I've got four questions for you. Just tell me what what comes to mind. Um, what, uh, name one tool or resource that has helped you the most in your career. Um, <laughs> the internet. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, you know what? That's a heck of a tool. So we'll we'll take it. Uh, <laughs> what What about a book? Um, what, what's a book that that you'd recommend um, that that has been really helpful to you? Yeah, I, I I read a lot actually, and um, you know some some of the early influential you know books for for me on this are books like like Conscious Capitalism, um, you know Natural Capitalism, you know books that are really biomimicry, you know books that are really at the intersection of of, of sustainability and of of business and of kind of defining a new a new status quo where you know it's not about take make waste, it's about um, making sure that there's enough for all for for everyone. Which is a Buckminster is... Fuller quote, by the way. I don't that's, I know that just rolled off the tongue. <laughs> what's the what's the quote? Uh, enough for all, for everyone, uh, forever. It's, uh, Buckminster Fuller's uh, one of his most famous books is called "Operating Manual for Spaceship Earth." It's a great, it's a great quick huh. read. Cool, cool. Um, what is one piece of advice that you'd give to your twenty-one-year-old self? I would say to 
<laughs> raise more money earlier. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> definitely to um, continue to surround yourself with, with people that have seen the seen the movie, you know, before um, that it's about, uh, you know, not not knowing everything, but, you know, knowing people who, who know things and, um, you know, just, uh, yeah, I guess, you know, bringing, bringing that attitude towards, uh, towards building what we are. And I think, you know, that is a, a big part of what I, what I did and, um, is, is something that, you know, all young founders should, should do in addition to taking action on their ideas, like we talked about at the top of the show. Right. Right. Um, and who's uh, one person that you would love to take to lunch? Well, uh, to get too sentimental, I guess, but it's actually been a, a year since my, my grandfather passed away, who was uh, in the food industry and just a huge, uh, hugely supportive, you know, mentor and advisor to me as I, you know, started, you know, building, building Regrand and actually lunches were one of the things that, uh, you know, we would meet and, and, and talk through everything. And, you know, now a year after he's, he's, he's passed and I'd really, <laughs> truly love to get to do that again. That's awesome. All right. Well, um, I guess, uh, as, as we conclude here, um, do you have any, any, you know, partying bits of advice for those that are in the physical, physical product space, um, that are making their way, they're kind of in the struggle, you know, what, what would your advice be to them? Don't burn out. Um, you know, there's this, there's this romantic myth of, uh, entrepreneurship where you're, you know, burning the midnight oil and, um, you know, I mean, you gotta, you gotta, you know, hustle or whatever the trendy jargon is for that these days, but really, really important to um, take care of yourself and, you know, your family and, you know, remember that there's not a playbook for, for doing this, you know, exactly. And that, you know, if you burn out, um, you're done, <laughs> you know, and uh, so it's, it's just important to, uh, you know, invest in your physical and mental health, you know, along this journey, or you'll, you'll never make it through the in- endurance sporting event is building a business. I think that's a, that's a great note to end on, Dan. Um, and uh, I, I just want to tell you that I appreciate uh, you taking the time today. This was awesome. Uh, I think you really shared some some great uh, nuggets of wisdom with us and, you know, as well as kind of educating us into this this problem of food waste and, and, you know, the opportunities that there are with upcycling. So, yeah, hey, thank you. Appreciate it. You take care. Yeah, thanks so much, Ken. Take care. The Physical Product Movement Podcast is brought to you by Fiddle. To find out more about Fiddle and how our industry-leading inventory ops platform is giving modern brands and manufacturers full visibility into their inventory and operations, visit fiddle.io. And then make sure to search for Physical Product Movement in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Fiddle, thanks for listening. Real quick before this episode starts, I want to ask you, are you still using spreadsheets to manage your inventory, suppliers, co-packers, and production? Unless you're a wizard with cells and formulas, you can only grow so much with spreadsheets. When you're selling on your website, in retail stores, in online marketplaces, and more, it gets hard to track your inventory levels. Stockouts become a regular occurrence and fulfilling orders keep you awake at night. Use Fiddle instead. Our software is built to help CPG businesses like yours scale more easily with constant insight into your inventory and production at all levels. 
Go to fiddle.io to learn more and schedule a personalized demo.